The SaaS Universe podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Universe podcast. Today, Joseph Abraham, CEO and founder of Startup Atom, has a virtual sit-down with Sangram Bajre, the co-founder of Terminus. We hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us, Sangram. And it's, it's really nice to you know, have you on our show. Um, thanks for, for accepting our invite. Absolutely, man. Excited to be it. I love uh, some of the thoughts that you already have put together for our conversation. So let's uh, dig into it. Great. So we have a tradition and we start our podcast by trying to understand who are you as a person. So what's your favorite quote if you have one or a book that you want to talk about a bit, you know, uh, just to just to help us understand a little bit about how you think. Oh, totally. Well, one of my favorite books is is obviously the Bible. That's that's my favorite book. Uh, but if you go professionally, I love Patrick Lencioni. He he has written several books on it, and one of his books are is um, is around leadership. It talks about the five dis- dysfunctions of a team, and that is uh, right. one of my favorite books. Awesome. I mean, I do remember you know reading the book long, long, long back. I mean, um, starting with trust and going all the way to results, right? So, I mean, a, a, a well-packed book. Great, Sangram. So, uh, just for our viewers, I mean, if you can uh, quickly share about how did you you know get fascinated about account-based marketing, and how did you really get into marketing? I mean, how did it become a core passion for you? Uh, and also a little bit about, you know, Genesis of Terminus and the peak community, if you want to share and how it all happened. Uh, so that's like one strong story that uh, we know how it all happened. Yeah. Right. So the, the long story is so I'll try to try to cut and get back into it like a movie. So hopefully just start imagining talking about, uh, about this. So um, I'm a bachelor's master's in computer science. So it, it was what I, I guess I was supposed to do. But I even realized even during my master's program, uh, the team that used that we had, they would always have me do the presentation and they will do the coding. So I realized I'm one, that means I'm a bad coder, not because I'm a great presenter, it was because I'm a bad coder. So I realized that, but I enjoyed the idea of communicating, telling a story and, and making people recognize and see worth in themselves because it's so important to do that in, in the process. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I got connected to that. Um, and since then, I worked in a couple of companies like Deloitte Consulting. I did uh, the Big Five. Uh, that was a really great experience. And then uh, I actually ended up as an analyst in a startup company here in Atlanta. And I did not know anything about marketing. The only reason they hired me because they thought I'd be good with numbers and uh, good with uh, and computers. But really, what I learned in that was marketing is fascinating because. You can test something, you can change something. I think marketers are the only people who I believe can literally change the world um, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Think about Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, you think about Mark Benioff today, you think about Elon Musk today, you think about any of these. They, they, they really, what they're doing is telling a story. Ultimately, they're, they are having a vision of where they want to go and they're testing it, they're moving it, they're pushing it. And I couldn't believe that, oh my God, today, marketing can be used for bad purposes, but if you use it for the right purposes, you could change the way people buy, consume information, and actually change behaviors. So I got really excited about it. So I took this startup role. I grew very quickly in that because I was just excited about getting to know people and getting to know what motivates people. Uh, and that led me to become um, run marketing 
at Pardot. Uh, but there's a, there's a slight thing that I want people to recognize here, uh, Joseph, because during that time, one thing I felt did consistently that I hope most people are doing um, now more than ever is have a consistent relationship with people that are outside of your sphere so that even when things change, they know you and you know them. So I got the job at running marketing at Pardot because I knew mm-hmm. the Pardot and I would be spent every three months, I would just set up coffee with that person. I would just meet up with that person. I made that person my mentor. And it wasn't, I didn't realize this was going to lead me to run marketing at Pardot at some point, but that's what led me to be there. Uh, and so a lot of people think it's it's an overnight success or people think that, oh, they, it, he, he or she was at the right place at the right time. Um, yeah, but there was a lot of right place at the right time before it actually became true, right. right place at the right mm-hmm. time. Um, and I, I see a lot of lot of folks are not taking the time to be mentored um, or even mentor others just for the same exact reason. So so that led me to run marketing at Pardot. Um, and, and going back to the very first question you asked, like what got me into ABM or account-based marketing for folks who are not familiar with that, was because when I was running at marketing, marketing at Pardot, we got acquired by Exact Target and Salesforce. I was at Salesforce for two years. And mm-hmm. I realized one day there was this whole conversation where we generated tons of leads in marketing. And my sales leader came to me, Joseph, and he said, Sangram, great job. Uh, you and your team did a phenomenal job. You guys created tens of thousands of leads. Um, but here's the thing. Can you start generating a thousand or I think he said 2000 more leads next month mm-hmm. and i was right. like yeah i'm like i sat down i just sunk in my seat joseph because I'm like oh my god i have to do that i'm nothing but a coin operated lead machine right so true there's, yeah there's more to me and more to my team and more to what we do as marketers than that and that led me to figure out terminus and and i can jump into that but i'll pause there to just reflect on the story so far all the way to terminus Right. Awesome. And um, so, I mean, how did Terminus happen, Sangram? I mean, if you can help, uh, you know, especially the early stage founders, um, just to help people understand uh, the context of building a new company and how did that happen? Totally. So, uh, for I'd say this every time, like I'm not, I, I joined the founder six months later and became a co-founder. So, I always tell, like I got, in many ways, uh, it, I feel like I'm a, a fake entrepreneur because there are a couple of people who actually started six months before I joined them. Uh, but again, going back to right place, right time, I saw them doing a pitch at Atlanta Tech Village where where um, it's, it's a place in Atlanta where a lot of startups will pitch. And I saw their pitch and I'm like, and that was probably during the same time when this thing, this episode happened with me, I was kind of flustered. And I went and listened to them and I said, oh my God, you guys are talking about this this is phenomenal, but it's a service that you're selling. I think it's a product. And they're like, well, why don't you come help us build it? And I'm like, well, nobody asked me that before. I wasn't really looking for that. And right. they're like, do you really feel that this is a pain point? Because they were all both Georgia Tech grads. They both understand, understood technology and business. Uh, but I'm most passionate about the problem we could solve and who we solved it for. That was my gig. So we just, they made an offer. We thought about it and we just went back and said, you know what, this, let's do it. And I moved from Salesforce to Terminus as a co-founder because I said, if I'm coming in, leaving this big opportunity, I need to come in at least as a co-founder, someone who could drive this business forward. 
and and see where we go. So that honestly was one of the best decisions I made because I could have gone and got another job, but I think in turn because we got and started Terminus without really knowing much, I think it allowed me to to extend myself, grow myself in ways uh, and that that I never thought about. And I have to give a ton of credit to my wife for this because my, at that time we just had our second kid. Uh, our daughter Kiara, she was like, I think five or six weeks uh, old. And I literally come home one day and tell her like, hey, look, you know, I met these two guys at a bar. Um, great conversation. I think we're going to start a business together. We're going to join them. And uh, I'm not going to make much money. Uh, and that means you need to go find a job. Uh, because I don't know how we you know, survive after that. And uh, that's it. And, and, you know, that was a straight conversation. It took up two, three weeks of debating back and forth. But I remember my wife telling me this, that uh, I know if you don't do this, you'll regret. And, mm. and I don't want you to regret. So how about this? You have one year to prove this thing has legs. And if you show right. me legs, you can do it. Otherwise, you're going to go find a real job. Now, right. Joseph, that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it gave it did two things to me. One, it made our relationship very clear, like she's there doing things for me um, and taking the risk. She went and found a job and she was working like literally like two months into, you know, after delivering a baby and, and with two kids wow. and making too much money. Um, so that's one. And the second part was that because she gave me an ear worth of time, we did unrealistic things. We did stuff like we did four flip my funnel events in the first year. We did we we did so many unreal things that most companies would do in four or five years because we just realized and realized at least at that point that all I got is one year. So I better make this work. Otherwise, this is not going to happen. And and I think that put so much fire underneath me that that I hope uh, I, if if that wasn't the case, I don't know if I would have done some of the things I did. Wow, that's a that's a great story. I mean, um, I mean, if our listeners are listening, I mean, it's 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 really great to know because you also need an ecosystem to support, and um, that really makes the magic happen. So, I mean, shifting gears here, Sangram, in, in terms of um, you know early stage SaaS companies, uh, a lot of them, you know, are focus, uh, you know, on on getting the right kind of logos and accounts, and that's pivotal for them. But most of them really struggle. Uh, and I mean, I've seen it, you know, for various reasons. But what are some of the some of the common reasons that you're seeing them struggle, and what can they do about it? For from a startup perspective, or just in, in yeah. terms of, from yeah. a startup perspective, from a startup perspective. You know, one thing I, in many ways I feel like people have to realize that not all startups are successful. So it's okay to fail. I mean, I I had a couple of other you know, moonlighted uh, startups that didn't work uh, on the back end. But then there's another thing that you mentioned, you talked about a good ecosystem. I think that's, that is very important for you is to know that you have family that supports you. You have uh, people that you know that can support you. You can, you, you may not have all the answers, but you, your problem is very clear. But one thing that is above all that I thing that allowed Terminus to actually help create a category and, and where it is right now is because we care more about this problem than anybody else. I think that was 
that was the number one thing that kept going like you know what and what's the problem the problem was very simply we stated it over and over again less than one percent of the p of the leads turn into customers that funnel is broken there needs to be a better way and we care more about this than anyone else well, how do we show we care more about it we create we wrote books we created podcasts we created uh conferences that was vendor agnostic we did everything to show and make make people part of the community to say we care more about solving this problem than our own uh, you know stock price or whatever so that allowed us to grow so i think a lot of times what i see uh, companies especially startup founders do is like they make it all about them they make it all about their product they make it all about uh like their their mission uh, which which may be in inside in uh, as opposed to outside in view of it so I think that is the part that I see many founders and early stage startups struggle with. And I, my, my, like I'm, I'm an advisor for several companies and I would advise them always around this is figure out a problem market fit, not a product market fit. Mm-hmm. And most people don't really you know, take it at the people to just think about that as, as a phrase, because a lot of times you will look at product market fit, which means you're trying to get your product in as quickly as possible to as many people as possible and see that if, predictable revenue sounds great but that might happen what's really important to recognize is there a problem market fit now what's a problem market fit a problem market fit is when you say hey i'm putting a conference together on solving this problem and 300 people show up that means you have a problem market fit now you can go and create a product that supports that problem and that's what we didn't have a great product or fully realized product when we launched Terminus, what we had was a clear problem that we got lots of people excited about. So true. I mean, um, it's interesting, like, you know, to also, you know, to, to unpack this. And, and if you really, really see from microscopic point of view, a lot of times I think uh, founders do not interact with customers, right? I mean, they actually have a go-to-market program in place, but what it lacks is the the market analysis and and selecting the market and and understanding the complexity of it and and bracing up for it um so so uh, what are some of the things that that founders can do in that direction uh, before they go and hit their go to market well the so first thing a lot of times there are three or four things that come to me my mind right now so let me just go through one at a time on that you a very interesting phrase that you know I'm working on, which is understanding go-to-market. Right. And right now, as I'm working on this as my third book, uh, it's I've interviewed VCs, top VCs that have helped companies to become unicorn. I have, uh, which means billion dollar in valuation. I have interviewed CEOs like CEO of Outreach and, and, and G2 and uh, others to figure out how did they become that and wh- how did the go-to market change from when they had zero dollars to now $100 million in revenue uh, to CMOs and CROs who are on the front lines to execute it. And what's interesting, Joseph, about that is that in your go-to market strategy, it continues to evolve as your company evolves. And a lot of times people over-engineer them in the early stages. So what I mean by that is the reason some companies fail is because they try to do all at once and mm-hmm. focus on many different things at the same time. And what I'm realizing more than anything is that all of these leaders that have become very successful in building their companies, they're ruthlessly 
prioritizing one thing, one and only one thing. So they, for example, for us, we knew how to build a community better than anybody else. Great. We focused on that. We made that our mission for the first three, four years of our organization. The same thing with HubSpot creating inbound, uh, Salesforce creating Dreamforce. You think about uh, Drift creating hyper growth. Like you think about all the category leaders, they figured out, oh, community is very important. So they went and built a community that is separate than their product and made sure that is. So that may be the thing. You think about Slack, you think about Intercom and all of these different companies. They figured out that they can create a really exciting, simple ecosystem that allows their product to grow. And it's easy to use. It's fast. People can jump in and go. So that's how they grew. Um, companies like uh, Superhuman, and I use an email app called Superhuman, their, their founder and their company focuses ridiculously on the simplicity and the speed of how quickly emails can be opened up, clicked through, returned, changed, redirected, uh, rescheduled. All those things can happen in a flash within an app as opposed to going through a million emails that we all get in our Gmail box or Outlook box. So I guess where I'm going with all this is that what is your one thing? That is a hard question for founders to agree, understand, because we all are, have the shiny object syndrome where, oh, they did that, so let's do that. They figured that. But you have to like literally shut yourself, your eyes down, and, and get to a point where you say, what is the one thing that we're really great at? And once you figure that out, you double, triple down, quadruple down on that one, and you will see that the fruits of it, not immediately, but in many years to come. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, you're the right person to ask this question, which is about creating a category. So I, I meet a lot of SaaS founders uh, in quite an early stage who talk about wanting to create a category. So uh, they talk about being the, the, the zero in the category, right? And, and being the leader of the pack. Um, so do you think it's a good trend? Because it's kind of become a trend these days to say, I don't have competitors. I mean, what you're building is totally unique. Um, I mean, what's the point where you really realize that you truly are building a category? Because a lot of times you could be delusional about it as well. You know, that's a that, that's a very interesting question because uh, I spend a lot of almost every week I spend to some CEO, some founder, or some VC who is actually asking the same question around. I want my company to be a category leading company, and my number one thing is that uh, is to get them to really think that it is one of the hardest thing you would ever do. So, are you ready? For and they're like, well, no, we, I mean, they created it. We can do that. I'm like, okay. Well, the reason they created it is because they're still sticking with it. Is this your three-month strategy or is this your lifelong strategy? And when you start pushing back on that, they would realize that, oh, no, I, we don't think this is just an immediate knee-jerk. And the reality is that every category leader is someone who's actually being almost an evangelist for it, which... Interestingly, is my title as well at here. But you think about Mark Benioff. Can we imagine anything but how he evangelizes Salesforce? That's why they built the category. You think about Steve Jobs, same thing. Can we imagine him doing anything other than that? Absolutely not. You think about um, you think about from a tech perspective, but you can think about even people. Like you know, you think about Mother Teresa. Like, would we think she would do anything other than that? It's impossible. So who are these people? They are ultimately evangelist. So if you're a founder or CEO in the company, you need to recognize that that's the role that you're signing up for, which means you're going to stop talking about your product, which means you're going to focus on influencers and, and, and um, analysts and their relationships and helping them move forward. 
That means you're going to pitch a new narrative that may not connect directly to your product today, but in future it will. And so most operator CEOs or founders, they struggle with this. And I push back nine out of 10 people and get them to realize they're not fit to do a build a category. And that's okay. That's not a problem. That's okay. That's, a, that's actually a great thing that we figured out that you're not ready to do that. Now go and make ruckus in the existing category and stop moving around trying to create a new one because you already know what to do there. But if you are ready to create a new category, I think you need to be extreme. You, you, I call it like the four things, the peak, actually the peak word actually came from that, which is having a picture of success, very clear, like this is where we want to go. Um, e stands for extreme focus. You're so focused that that is the one thing that you're, you want to go and do and that nothing can stop. Years to come, you're signing up for lifelong. Um, you're authentic about it, which means you will never put your company over the community, just not what you're going to do. That's something that you have to sign up for. It's very hard as you raise money and as you have a board, it's, it's going to get increasingly hard for you to do. And you're going to do that case for kindness. You're going to actually employ that as part of your organization. So the peak framework really is the picture of success, extreme focus, authenticity, and kindness. And what's interesting, Joseph, about that, most people are good at P and E. They're like, okay, I get the vision. We can build it and we can be focused on it. Where they miss on are the last two, being authentic about it, with being kind about it, which means they will slap their logo on top of the community and then now you know it's gone. Um, they would try to sell within the community and then you're not authentic, you're not kind to them. So it's a it's a continuous challenge within each other that you have to sign up saying, this is what I want to do. And very few founders and companies can actually muster to do that. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's really nice because there's also this, uh, you know, the side to it, which is vulnerable and you got to be there. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because my, my next question was more about building a category, you know, takes a lot, you know, in terms of also building a community. And I, I do see that you're building a great community at Peak, and 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 it's it's interesting to know what Peak stands for. I mean, it, it's it's really nice to know. So, uh, how did Peak start, Sangram, and and what's your vision for Peak? A couple of things, you know, it started right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, a friend of mine, Judd, and I, we knew know each other for years now, and and he's an incredible recruiter uh, in the out there in the world. He hires emerging CMOs and CMOs, and I, I get question all the time. How do you become a CMO? What skills do I need? And and we have like, you know what, why don't we just build something that helps people figure that out? So we started Peak Community to just share our knowledge and get, uh, and very quickly, um, a lot of people really wanted more on it. So we created two premium groups, as you know, emerging CMO group and CMO group within that, where every week there is an event that is specifically uh, for you to figure out how to become a CMO at some point. That means you will see how CMOs do board deck. Like last, like literally yesterday, there was an event where two CMOs joined the eCMO, all the people who want to be a CMO one day, and showed them how to do a board deck, how to present in a board meeting, what questions to think about, how do you, what questions do board ask, why, how should the relationship with board will be. Something that a marketer, unless they're in a C-level, would never have access to. We're trying to create that in that group. Um, and so it's it's become like it came out of a, a need that Judd and I felt we need to have around us. And because we can't mentor so many people 
one-on-one. -on -one. We need to do that at scale and we need to bring more people in it and let's not make it about us, make it about the true community. So I think as you know, it's it, we do once a month or twice a month events that I run, but majority of every Friday, there is another event that's happened that is run by the community in the community. So it gives people an opportunity to show off. It people gives the opportunity to be on radars. People are actually finding jobs. Somebody in the emerging CMO got hired as a director of ABM in this, by the CMO, in the CMO group. So all these things are just something that we always imagine will happen. So it's pretty cool to see it coming. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm also privileged to be part of the community. So it, it's nice to know, I mean, what you're doing, because I do see it in, at close quarters. Um, so I'm going, going back to the question again, in terms of, I, I've seen you building communities over and over again, um, you know, as part of your journey. Uh, so what a couple of things are probably three things, if you can share, it's foundational to building a good community uh, that can really help early stage founders uh, set, you know, have a set direction. In, in that sense to to be able to also like make it as their uh, core agenda of what they're doing? Well, one thing that I you have heard me say before, which is without a community, you're simply a commodity. Right. And, and I want people to start, get hold of that as a statement uh, because your product will be replaced. Uh, somebody can build a faster, cheaper product if you are, uh, if you know what the, how that works, because that's exactly what you're doing if you're building a new product to make it better than others. So, the only thing that will keep you ahead of all of these people or at least become a barrier for you would be a community that truly believes in what you're doing. And that requires that four elements of the peak framework we talked about. But to, to answer more specifically your question, what do you really need? And these the three things that I'm about to share, Joseph, people are probably going to roll their eyes because they would say, well, those are, of course, you need those. But the question is, how much time do you spend in building foundation for those three elements is going to be the the reason some people are going to really get a lot out of what I'm about to say and get nothing. So I will be curious. People can hit me on LinkedIn later on and tell me um, if they like it or not, because I love love engaging on that. So the right. three elements that help you build a community are trust, safety, and care. Trust, mm -hmm. safety, and care. So can people trust you? goes back to being authentic around it. Um, that you're doing what you're doing it genuinely because you care about it. As I said, some of the people you know that are that you can trust, just think about it. Make a mental list of two people that you trust right now. And the reason you trust them because you know that's what they stand for. There's no way they would do anything different. That's why you trust them. The second is safety, which is people right now, especially in the current environment, people want to feel safe. Um, and so that's why look at the peak community, the reason it's paid and it's locked in is because you want to create a, a safe community there to drive drive business outcome. And then the last one is that you really care. And that, that is the part I said, the reason I think Terminus has done some of the things it did is because we truly cared about the problem more than anybody else. So if I make, if somebody feel somebody can create a community where they seem to be caring more about the community, then then we didn't do a great job. That's something that will always keep me up at night. There's a reason why we do Thursday Spotlight in the community because we want to show we care about the community and the people and we're recognizing the people um, yeah, because those those three are trust, safety, and care. And there's another uh, part to all of this, which is I was listening to T.D. Jakes. Uh, T.D. Jakes is a, is a, you know, is a filmmaker, pastor. He has done so many different things in his life. He He was saying this yesterday 
that the most important element of leadership is actually the fact that the people that are you are surrounded with it, those people feel that they are recognized. That's how you build a leadership and that's how you create relationships that they are recognized. So, you know, you think about, a, you know, husband and wife, like if you don't recognize each other, like soon they'll be having a tough relationship, right? Um, same thing with with your employees. If If your team doesn't feel like you recognize them, and that doesn't mean you give them a kudos all the time, but recognizing, hey, you did a great job there, or uh, oh, this so and so is actually responsible for it. It's, it's the recognition that we really want ultimately in uh, in every community that that we are part of. So if we if people again think about trust, safety, and care as the key elements to drive their business forward, very simple words, but a combination of these three words is very powerful. Awesome, absolutely. I think uh, I mean. The whole idea of trust, safety, care, and recognition, I think it does, does really, really matter. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's, 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 uh, it seems obvious, but I think it's, it's, it's one of the most difficult things to do because um, you only earn trust, you know, you can't force trust. And so that's a process. And, um, you know, my mentor used to say something very interesting. He used to say that any relationship that's strategic uh, is, is lost the whole meaning of the relationship because um then it tends to you know uh become more in terms of uh you know this, this, this there's there's an element of of you engineering the whole relationship and so there's no authenticity and it it actually leads to a big disaster so i mean trust uh safety and care you know it, it's easy to say but i think it's 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 one of the hardest things to do and definitely you know it it does make you know, make for the right foundation to build. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to like, uh, you know, go one one level deeper before I move to the next question, which is uh, how do you really feed into trust? You know, because it's, it's I know you, you, you spoke about recognition, but what are, what are the things that, you know, that you have done that has helped you see that it, it's, it's built trust? Because again, it's about really, really an authentic relationships. It's easy to, easy to say that, but I'm, I'm trying to look at it more from a point of view of practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? It's a very important question. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few examples that might, uh, that might foster some thinking around this because it is such a lucid thing that you, have, you can't fully measure it, but you know it when you feel it and see it. Um, so for example, uh, uh, one of the best that people talk about like on, um, from a reviews perspective or a community perspective when we started Flip My Funnel as a community, we never made it about Terminus. So every single time I would do a keynote, it, would, it wouldn't even mention the name Terminus in it. Even mm -hmm. when we do a Flip My Funnel conference, we do not have a product session and we do not have a product pitch and we do not have a product keynote. So it, it, it has truly stayed true to the community saying that this is a community. And on top of that, we invited every year, all of our competitors to come and actually speak on the stage. Now, they mm -hmm. would sometimes pitch their product and we like, you know what? We don't want you to do that and it will actually you know, hurt you in the long term. And that's exactly what happened. The people are smart. People feel and understand it. We don't need to, uh, marketing is not about making people do things that you don't, that, 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 that you can manipulate them. Marketing is to inspire and encourage them. So that's how I think about it. 
So we made sure that every time we did a flip map, we did about over 10 now. And every time we have done this conference, we are doing the keynote that does not include our product or anything like that. We invited our competitors on the stage to do a keynote as well. And we asked them not to do it, uh, do anything like that. We would be a booth just like every other booth out there in the, uh, at an event, uh, trade show that you go to. So that is a form of how we made sure that we are true to the community. Now, if that is something that people have a hard time swallowing, that's another cue for you that maybe category building is not something you might want to do. Wow, that was that was like uh, you know that was like sh- like straight as an arrow, right? So great. I mean, it's it's nice because it's it's good to get um, uh, you know straight answers like this. It's a great question. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, coming back to turbinus, uh, you know, so just want to talk a little bit about it. So. What's your typical customer look like in terms of, uh, you know, size and company? And um, I have a curious question as a follow-up. Did you use Terminus uh, as a platform to go get your early customers? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so ABM, as you know, and as people, who, if they want to just quick primer, it's, ABM is a strategy. Accountless marketing is a strategy, not a tool, not a technique. Um, as many sessions I do every week with tons of companies that I speak at, uh, I do a full-on strategy sessions. Maybe sometimes I do a workshop with them uh, on this. We bring that entire marketing and sales team and the C-level executives and walk them through this. Um, so they come out of it knowing, oh, that's what it means. That's how it should be done. What's, what's interesting about all of that is that if because it's a strategy, you don't really need a technology to do that. So if you think about it, let's go back to the flip phone as an example. When we started that as a conference, we knew who to invite to that community. We knew uh, who should be part of that community. They may never become our customers, but we know they're our target audience. So they were mid-sized companies, uh, uh, marketer, director level marketer coming into it who actually has experience in marketing automation platforms. So they know marketing and they know MarTech. And now we are, we are helping them uh, reimagine what the new world might look like in the B2B world. That's that's who we were going after. So we literally collected a list of uh, thousand companies in each location we ever did that conference, like either Boston or Chicago or San Francisco or Austin, wherever you we went. We would actually have a thousand plus company names that we know are our target audience and we would invite them. Now, if other people show up, great. But those are the ones that we as a company focused on because we know if we can change them and if they would buy and they become the early adopters, that will change the entire economy around account-based marketing. So we focused on them. So if you think about it, going back to account-based marketing as a strategy, we didn't need tools to do that. We just need to figure out which these companies are and go after them. That is the number one step um, in the book, ABM is B2B, which is targeting the right companies as opposed to doing that later on, which is what happened. A lot of people create content and then do the promotion. We did the reverse of it. That's what ABM is. You start with who you want to go after and then create content for them so that it's connected. Absolutely. So uh, who's a typical customer for, for Terminus and in terms of size and company? And uh, what's the average contract value like for Terminus? So today, um, we're over 1,000 customers, and, and majority of our customers are either in mid-market um, and enterprise level. Um, Typical deal size, I can't really get, like give you exact right. number because we acquired it. I think you you know this, Joseph. Like you know, we started in you know 2014, 2015, 
And we have acquired four different companies uh, since then, which is another big lever that we leverage that not only build community, but also not try to be so egoistic that we think we can build everything by ourselves. We partnered where we needed, we bought where we could, and we're building that we are great at. Uh, that's how that's our philosophy overall. So we acquired as a startup company, if you think about it, six years into running, and we already acquired four different companies. We acquired two companies last year during the pandemic. Um, so, so we have been really hyper focused on it, where everybody zigs, we zag is kind of how we look at it. So because of that, it's like depends. If somebody wants to come in and just have a chat platform or analytics platform, they can probably run it for 30, 40k. Annually, if somebody wants the entire enchilada, then you know that's obviously over 100k and stuff. So, it, but it's all SaaS. It's you know it's a recurring revenue business. Uh, it's it's pretty awesome to have now over thousand customers with 250 people in in the company. As a matter of fact, I think just this year, um, I think we have hired 18 people in our company. Um, in, in, sorry, in, when I say this quarter, sorry, not this year. Our quarter ends in January. So. Right. In this quarter, we we have not over 18 people in our company, which has been really cool. Wow, awesome! And so, what is the go? I mean, the 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 basis for this question is more in terms of trying to understand what is the go-to market strategy, and if, if there's a is a playbook that uh, early stage founders could adopt to. So that's where I was going with with that question. So, uh, you know, is there anything that you feel that could apply from Terminus playbook for early stage founders that that can help them in the early stage to go and have a very strong go-to-market strategy. Well, I'll give you another framework if people want to write it down. Uh, I call it the MOVE framework. I, I, I think in framework, so I apologize if people... <laughs> if it's not framework, I cannot apply it. It cannot be scalable, so it's not right. people to do it. So I try to think about things in framework so people can apply it and customize it if, if they need to from their perspective. So the framework I'm calling is a MOVE framework, which is know your market, that you're going to go after, figure out what that is, but not just ICP and total addressable market like TAM, but actually TRM, which is total relevant market that you want to go after. So figure that out. That might be an industry, that might be a location, that might be regional, that might uh, you know might might be type of uh, size of the company. So whatever it is, you figure out your relevant market that you can go after. So it's a very small segment, not everything, small segment, so market. The other part is operations. This is where you can go crazy early on, but you shouldn't be because if you're like, let's say you're a 30, 40, 50 million dollar company. Now you have revenue operations team and you have systems and intent and data and all that stuff. But if you're an early stage, you really need to know is that operationally, here are my five metrics that I want to track. That's super important. Know those, that's operational. The velocity. Now, this is V is very important because velocity is the most important thing that makes or breaks a company. The reason I say that is, as you grow, how fast can you hire people? How fast can your sales team sell close deals? How fast can your customers see ROI of your product? The answers to those three questions will change the mechanics of your organization. It will tell you how much more money you need or how fast you can grow. If those things are not predictable and repeatable, then your company is not going to be scalable. So velocity of employee onboarding to customer onboarding to sales uh, ramp very important, many different areas of that. And the last one E is for enablement, which is you may have from a go-to-market perspective, you may have a great strategy. Let's say we want, like, we want to expand in EMEA, we want to expand in, in, in APAC, whatever it might be. You may have a great strategy, but if you're not enabling 
the sales enablement for enabling sales, marketing enablement for making sure marketing is creating the right things for it. You don't have all these elements from a customer success perspective, making sure that you're going after the right customer expansion initiatives. You're going to really lose velocity. You're going to, it, it impacts everything else. You're going to have lesser velocity. You're going to have your operations is going to be crummy and your market is going to suffer. So those are the four elements for anybody as a startup, all the way to uh, I'm talking to VCs who have become, uh, who have helped companies go billion dollar in valuation. I see those four elements as one of the key areas where people can create their maturity curve and see where they are on market operations, velocity, and, and enablement. Wow. I mean, I love it. I mean, I love frameworks and I mean, it, it's, it's really nice to get two of them in, in the show peak and move. Right. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm, I'm just wanting to like uh, also understand um, just one quick thing as a follow-up and, um, and then also understand a little bit about, you know, your significant, significant learning at this point of time. But before that, what are the couple of like marketing metrics that are non-negotiable for a for an early stage founder that that person can't miss on his dashboard, his or her dashboard? Oh man, oh very good, very good question. This so in the early stage, it, I think a lot of companies over-engineer a lot of these things. All you need to know is what's your revenue look like? Is it up? I'll say almost three or four metrics, but it's like revenue. Is it going up or down? Something that I think most people are doing. Um, regardless of it, because that's that's how they look at it. The second is your. This is the part that people start figuring out is like, what is your profit? Is there a profit in it? Uh, and a lot of times people don't know how to calculate that and and figure that out. But figuring that out is going to help you. And then the third part, which will help you figure out how much money you need, is profit per customer. It's not extremely hard because you might think that this is really really crazy, but it's really whatever is the profit and the number of employees you have, that is, that's how you calculate profit per customer. But those three metrics are super important because revenue tells you, uh, you know, how fast are you growing uh, as a company? Your profit tells you, like, can you continue to grow at this scale or do you need to raise money? And the third thing is that, well, how does your operational efficiency look like? If, if you think you need more money because you're not making as fast and your cost per employee is very high, then you need to figure out what's, what to cut or where to invest. So those are the three main metrics. Uh, I see one and two maybe overall track. I don't see many companies tracking the third one, which can change the change again the economic engine of the company. Wow. So I mean, it's it's brilliant. I mean, um, coming from a CMO, I mean, usually uh, you know they, they tend to 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 I mean. Uh, talk more on the lines of MQLs and so on and so forth. But oh, MQLs and SQLs will be dead in the next couple of years. <laughs> they were right. created to create marketing and sales to be uh, to keep each other accountable, to align. And I think uh, if true B2B companies shouldn't be doing that unless you're doing a transactional business, you really shouldn't be doing that anymore. They were created to literally make sure that marketing is sending a lead and lead is followed up and, and like, if you're doing, if you are going after the right accounts that both teams agree on, there is no SLA. You should be jumping on it right away. You shouldn't be working on anything that sales doesn't care about as a marketer. So I think those metrics were created as a fail-safe, uh, but people have used that as a crutch right now. Absolutely. So what what's a one top significant learning, you know, in this phase of your journey? And uh, I'm just going to follow up with the last question as well. Uh, if you had to go back in time, what's the advice you would give to 
the 20 year old Sangram. <laughs> so, significant journey at this point of time, and then go back all the way back, back in time machine. And what would you tell Sangram? <laughs> well, there are, there are, there, there's a quote that I put in my uh, 111 newsletter I send out every um, Sunday or Wednesday is, is that being intentional is more important than being brilliant. And mm-hmm. uh, I learned that the hard way. I thought being the smartest person in the room is something I should always strive for. And I thought if I'm not smart, what's the point? Like I should figure this thing out and there are things that I can. Um, but what I realized is you grow up, especially as you grow your organization, is that what more important is being intentional about it than being brilliant. So you may have 50 ideas and you go after all 50 ideas and then you will you will just scratch the surface in all of them. But if you're intentional, you'll pick two of them and go crazy with those two and make a mark, uh, make a dent in the universe. So I'm realizing, and it's hard for me personally not to think about, because I'm a framework guy, I think about 50 ideas, but I have to swallow my pride and tongue and, and make sure that I keep my team and everybody focused on the two things or one thing or three things, as opposed to putting a new idea every single day to them. Absolutely. And what's the advice you would give to to the 20 year old Sangram. So is it going to be the same or is it, is it something else? <laughs> um, I'll just say just have uh, fun with it uh, because <laughs> life is too short. And, and, and if you make it, make it all about numbers and growth and, and try to be quote unquote as successful as others, which actually should be your own personal definition of success. There are a lot more people who have a lot more money, but a lot more sad. And there are a lot of people who have a lot less money and a lot more happy. So you have to figure out what is success to you, define yourself. And I, I think I, I could have done a better job of defining that for myself early on. Like right now, mm-hmm. it's not that I have unlimited money or anything like that, but I think money is not what I think about. And the more I do that, the more, quote unquote, personal happiness and joy I feel in life as opposed to what people might call it success. I don't even see that. So 20-year-old would be all prideful and all... I want this and I want that. And I think maybe as I reach into my 40s, I'm like, uh, not really the most important thing in the world, but that's probably maturity than anything. Absolutely. So it's, it's really great talking to you, Sangram. I mean, I, I learned a lot. I mean, in fact, I took about, you know, six pages of notes and what really stands out for me as personal learning I know through this whole podcast is, uh, you know, there was a few statements that really stood out for me. It's okay to fail because a lot of times I think we get caught up with making success the narrative of our lives. Uh, uh, the, the other one was the outside and approach. The third one was, uh, again, uh, goes alongside with the, the, the problem market fit. I mean, a lot of times people are trying to look at the product market fit, uh, but it's also the problem market fit. And the the other thing was about, you know, uh, ensuring that um, building a category is is more about, uh, you know, you really being there for the lifetime and you being an evangelist for that. And so I I like the whole peak framework that you just shared, the picture of success, extreme, you know, focus, being authentic and kind, Um, you know. Also, the, the, the trust, safety, and, and, and care when you're building a community. And, I mean, that, that really stood out for me. Uh, and and the, the last one that really stood out for me was, um, you know, being intentional is better than being brilliant. I mean, I mean, so true because I think we usually, you know, as, as founders, we get caught up because uh, we get loads of ideas. 
I especially say we get a lot of ideas when you shower up, you know, every day. I mean, there's yeah. loads of ideas flow, and you 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 just want to go and pursue all of them. But I think it's it's about being intentional, uh, focused, um, and trying to do things that um, that bring you true true happiness and joy more than anything else in this world. So I mean, and, and, and it's a brilliant way to actually like go full circle on this. Thanks a lot, Sangram, and it's been really great, you know, conversing with you. Uh, looking forward, you know, to to your book and uh, and any any parting words that you have for us. Uh, any, well, I, I think go make go make a ruckus, go make uh, make magic happen in the world. People are waiting. The world is waiting for you to do that. Great, thank you so much, and you know, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. It's been great having all of you, and thank you, Sangram, once again. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the SaaS Universe podcast. And remember, if you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business, Efficient Capital Labs is here to help. With their unique approach, you can receive up to 75% of your projected revenue as upfront capital and all within just three days. So don't wait. Head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the show.